the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Judging the judgmental. That is the subject of our time today here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard as we continue our survey of Romans. Join us. Why is the gospel so important? Why is it so necessary? These are questions we're answering as we continue our survey of Romans. And today, we have a final look at our message called, God is Going to Judge the Judgmental. Won't you join us? From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, our teacher and pastor, with today's edition, Truth For Today, in Romans, here's Pastor Phil Howard. There will be glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. The secret is, how do we do good in God's sight? The only good you could ever do in God's sight is the good He enables you to do. For no man of his own, you'll get to Romans 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. Let me say this, you contradict yourself, God never does. God is not saying there's two ways. So I understand this to be saying two kinds of lives come before God. One who has eternal life and they've sought God's glory. They've sought God's honor. And this is a life God can approve. And the other is self-seeking, stubborn, Christ-rejecting. And they are candidates for the wrath of God. Let me tell you, poor sinners, we all got a righteousness we couldn't earn. And we were given a gift we couldn't earn. And all the changes he's made in me since hasn't earned my salvation. It's proof I've been saved. Now, this is what's scary to me today. We've got a brand of Christianity that he doesn't change you. It's a brand that uh, uh, I was talking with a believer here recently living in outright sin, but I I hope to make it to church. And in my mind, I think, why in the world would you even want to come? If you know to do good and you don't want to do it, I can't understand any church connection. We used to serve good coffee. Yeah, that'd warm you up. Why? For a sinner to hang out in church and not want to know God is like a a thief hanging out at a police station. It doesn't make sense. But be good to them anyway. You're welcome whether you know God or not. But there's two kinds of lives. The blessed life, the life in possession of eternal life, and the life that its primary belief system is self-seeking. It was used of campaigning for an office to buy votes, to buy votes, and you must sell yourself, promote yourself. And we are one of the most self-centered generations in the world. As our income goes up, Our charitable giving has been going down. Churches all over, 
trying. I talked to a pastor in, from Oakland yesterday. He said, our people never learned to give. All these years, church after church, he said, no one learned to give. Why is that? Maybe unregenerate. Maybe they've never learned the God of all generosity. He said, I will judge someday and I am not deceived. I will evaluate two kinds of lives. One, the result of the grace of God that will have, you see, you think, well, how he's going to judge us? I've got good news for you. If you're a Christian, he's already judged you. That's exactly what he did at the cross. He judged Christ to give me eternal life that results in a changed life. For those who have rejected Christ, judgment is future. But see, the believer, we've not escaped judgment. It just already has happened to us. We were judged at the cross. Did you know that? God did everything he wanted to do about your sin at the cross. At the cross. I used to think I was saved for a week. Or I was saved just until I did the next sin. Then I had to start over. Maybe wait for a yearly revival to come around to get right. I did not know that I didn't have to get born again 15 times. I was born again. And God just said, I don't send you to hell, I just spank you. And when I get through spanking you, you want to act like a son. You don't get away with sin, but I don't have to hang you over hell. Come into the bedroom. That's what my dad did. Let's go in the bedroom. And it wasn't for a hug usually. Come here, we need to talk. I wish we would have just talked. No, we're going to do more than talk. Come here. Dad, leave me alone. The other boys do it. You're not the other boys. You're my boy. Daddy, I don't want to be your boy right now. You're going to be my boy. And why am I going to be your boy? Because I'm going to spank the daylights out of you for doing that. I was pre-Spock. Well, you're going to be judged, he says, according to what you practice. Then he says something that is another difficult section. That's why Ted didn't cover this section. Um, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight. But it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Now that sounds so good, doesn't it? And who's he talking to here? He's talking to the Jew. God never gave the law to the Gentiles. We had no law. He's talking to them. And guess what their boast was? We've got the law. We've got the law. And he said, you absolutely do. And guess what? I'm going to judge you by it. And I'm not going to judge you that I gave it to you. I'm going to judge you by whether you did it. I'm going to judge you by obeying, not by possessing. Pastor Rollins and one of the deacons, we were praying before the service. Ephesus had the right doctrinal beliefs. But she still walked away from God with a cold heart. And I've seen different men. I have been amazed at how many people who are basking in their knowledge who have a bankrupt testimony. They don't practice the love of God. They don't practice loving people. They just practice always being right and they're dead wrong. Because truth was not meant to inflate your ego. 
It was meant to pour out of your heart towards people and towards God. And here he says, those who've been given the law will be judged by the law. And no one has ever passed the law. And he's going to say, by the way, you'll be justified if you keep it. But he's going to break the news in chapter 3. By the way, no one's ever kept it. Only one. God the Son, Messiah. His active obedience was he obeyed the law. His passive obedience, he died under the law on the cross. So I get credit when I put faith in Christ for having kept the law because I'm in my substitute and having died to the law. Both are put to my credit just by faith. Just by faith. If you knew the impact of what I said, you'd at least sneeze and get a little happy. But that's all right. We'll get there. There'd be plenty of time to shout in this book. All who sin apart from the law will also perish from the law. The Gentile world, all who sin under the law will be judged by it. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature's things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Some take this to be Gentile Christians who are obedient even though they don't have the law. I'm not convinced. Maybe it's just those Gentiles that said, uh, we know murder is wrong and we don't want to murder. We never had the law of Moses, but we know murder is wrong. Stealing just innately. If you ever want to read about this, read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, the first four chapters. He develops natural law in people. There's something naturally in a human being that if you're standing in a line and all of a sudden somebody comes and breaks into the line, you say, hey, hey, that's not fair. Wait, what makes it not fair? Why did you say it's not fair? Let's say you don't believe there's any law. There's no right or wrong. Hey, buddy, you get the, you get the back of the line. Why did you say that? Because there's an innate, and he argues for four chapters polemically and brilliantly, that there's a natural law. We know it's just wrong for a man to kill another man to take his wife. You don't even need to have the law for that. Natural law, something working in the moral government of human beings. There are just some things right, some things wrong. Whether you have the revealed will of God or not, you just know. And God says, I'm going to judge the Jew by the law he's been given. I'm going to judge the Gentiles in a different way. Indeed, when Gentiles do not have the law, do by nature or instinctively things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Now watch this. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing now even defending them. So at the white throne judgment, we get the lost heathen that come before God and say, God says, I can't read to you the Ten Commandments. You never had them. I can't use the 613 commands I gave Israel. Well, what are you going to judge me by? I'm going to judge you by all those laws you know you already broke within yourself. Your conscience bears witness that you're guilty. Did you steal this? Yeah. Did you know it was wrong? Yeah. Who said it was wrong? My conscience went off. My conscience. 
my heart that are accusing me. I've always known I was wrong. I did this wrong. We're evil. We, we, we brought rice and food to the demons of the woods because we killed a man here and we want to appease the gods. Who told you there aren't any gods to appease? My soul, my conscience, there must be another being out there. I must get forgiveness. I must placate the gods. I must do something. When in Haiti at night, you'd hear the voodoo drums going. And if you drove by the cemeteries in the daytime, we would see people putting all their offerings on grave sites and before little uh, wooden gods and little stone gods. And I thought, who taught them to do that? Who told them they had to placate some god of stone, some god carved out of wood, and they had to go to their ancestors and pray the demons away? Oh, it's a terrible thing not to know God. You'll invent something worse. And so, he says, I will bring the Gentile world that have not known me, throw me off, didn't want the law, didn't want the word of God. Oh, Israel... I gave the law to you. I gave my word. You were oracle preservers. And I will judge you by that law. That was beautiful, magnificent, that you broke over and over and over again. Even while Moses is getting it, they're worshiping a golden calf. Don't tell me they didn't break it. And you Gentiles, you Gentiles, no law but conscience, but heart. The secrets of your heart will, you killed the man, you buried him, nobody in the village knows, but I know. I know that you seduced that man's wife. I know what you did to that young girl. I know the incest. I know all the connivings. I know the evils of your heart. And they will all be exposed on this day. Every secret you think you've got will be revealed before me. And the final standard of judgment is, hear me, hear me. The judge, the judge on this day will not be the Father. It will be God the Son. Christ is the judge at the white throne judgment, not the Father. The Father has committed all judgment to the Son. And the Son will stand there with nail-pierced hands, looking through you. And he will say, verse 16, as it were, This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares, hear me, hear me well, the meek and lowly Jesus is going to hold court. You see, he knows what it is to be tried with false witnesses. He knows what it is to be lied to and lied about. He knows what it is not to get a fair trial. So Jesus guarantees you a free, fair, honest tribunal. And he will bring you and he will first of all say, we're here to evaluate you in five areas. One, what did you practice? Two, how did you respond to the grace of God? Three, what kind of life did you live? Did you ever come to Christ for a new life? Or did you insist on your own will and refuse a new kind of life? Fourthly, I'm going to judge you according to the knowledge you have Some will get greater punishment because they knew more. 
Others will get less because they knew less. But nevertheless, I will judge you by the law. I will judge you by conscience. I'll judge you by the secrets of your heart. Finally, I'm going to judge you by what did you do with me? The good news that I sent Paul and the early church bleeding all over Asia Minor to tell you was, there's an escape from the wrath of God. And I was your escape. I've been standing all day long with hands outstretched saying, come to me. Come, flee the wrath to come. Flee. If you don't think it's his wrath, according to Revelation 6, when men cry for rocks and mountains to hide them, you know what they cry? Hide me, hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. Not the Father, the Lamb. Christ is going to pour out the judgment of the tribulation. For he's the one that bore the judgment. And he said, you would not have my payment. You would not have me. So I'm here. I want to hear why. Would you speak up? And you know something about the court? I notice two things. One, there's no lawyers allowed. Many of them will be before the judge. They've been crooks. They've stolen people's money in the name of law. There'll be no advocates. No. And two, this is the thing that amazes me. The court is absolutely quiet on the part of the accused. They don't say, that's not fair. Who do you think you are? Hey, buddy, don't tell. No, 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 no. This courtroom is quiet. You don't even need a sheriff. Absolutely quiet. And Christ says, open the books. And the books will be open. One book here. Another set over here. Number one, just a formal exercise. We find no record that you ever received me. Is that true? That's true. So we don't have you in my birth certificate book. Right. So you're not in that, okay. Well... Here we've kept a record of every sin that you've ever committed mentally, morally, physically, every sin. And we've got here on you, your rap sheet is about, let's see, five pages. And you died at 29. We've got bigger rap sheets from folks that live longer because they resisted my love longer. And it's a greater offense. Every day you live and you don't accept Christ, you're treasuring up wrath. You're storing it up. You're storing it up. You're storing it up. And for every bit of kindness he's shown you, you will someday in the day of wrath know where the fountain was filled. It was filled with a stubborn heart. And he will say, these are the works you committed, and I've assigned this kind of degree of punishment. Depart from me, you who may have had religion, you may have been Jewish. You may have been Gentile. You might have went to first church. But you never did come to me. You just were in it for yourself. And so he continues in chapter 2 next week to evaluate Jewish religious profession and why he found it bankrupt. And he will finally give his final plea in chapter 3. 
Hear me, hear me. You're guilty. And the gospel addresses guilty people. The goal of the gospel is not to make you happy. It will, but that is not its goal. Its goal is to deliver you from the wrath of God. That's what it's about. It's no plaything. I wish, I wish I had, had, did not have the assignment. I, I, you know what I wish? That I wasn't at the white throne judgment, but you and I will be there, setting with Christ as he judges men and angels. This is the truth. This is the gospel. So help me God, and heaven and earth will pass away. I may cease to be relevant. I may cease to be whatever. I may not be slick enough for a new generation. But I want to tell you, truth and only truth sets you free. The truth sets free. Not being slick. Truth will set you free. Our Father, I thank you that we've escaped the wrath of God. Every one of us who have fled to Jesus have found a refuge, a refuge, a refuge. And oh, Jesus, when I think back in those pre-conversion days, the misery of my heart, the uh, awesome guilt I felt before a holy God, it was authentic. It was you arresting me, convicting me. And oh, Father, I've already asked you to forgive me, but I, I must say my, my greatest sin is when I spurned your kindness, when I could keep saying no to him who is Lord. I thank you for putting up with a snot-nosed kid that was a punk and a rebel. And I thank you for that you put up with so much out of all the people in here that you saved. How many years did you put up with us? How many years did you hear us say, no, 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 no. Not for me. Not for me. I want to sin. I want to sin. And you, you, we couldn't offend you away. We couldn't uh, get you to buzz off. You just kept bothering. You just coming back, kept coming back. Sermon after sermon, prayer meeting after, people praying and uh, people saying we're praying for you. And uh, why didn't you leave us alone? And yet that will be the final verdict of hell. I will leave you alone forever. And instead you said, I won't be satisfied till I save you. I will conquer your stubbornness and I'll convince you of my kindness. And all I can say is, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. May we who are saved not sit on the gospel when so many in this area are living on the edge of eternity. Put the go ye in us. May they attend to learn how to share their faith. May sharing the gospel be a way of life in this church. Not just hearing music, not just concerts, not just another sermon, but some way may urgency grip our soul to tell our neighbors and our family that the house is on fire. They must flee.
they must flee to Jesus, to Jesus, the great Savior of our soul. We pray these things in his name. Amen, amen. And once again, we've come to the end of our time together here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we lock things up for another day of broadcasting, we do so with a a way to contact us here at Truth For Today. If you have a question, a prayer request, comment, we would love to pray for you. If you have a praise report about how the program is encouraging you in Christ, we'd love to hear that as well. A couple of ways to reach out to us. The easiest, of course, our phone number, 855-833-9864, or our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, you have another way to reach out to us, and that is, especially if you have a question or a praise report, that you would like Pastor Phil to answer. Well, simply take your voice memo app on that smartphone of yours, record your question along with who you are and where you're calling from, and then email that bit of audio to us at tftquestions at valleybible.org. Again, the email address is tftquestions at valleybible.org. So email that to us. We'll run it by Pastor Phil. And should we use it on the radio, we'll even let you know when. And as always, you can again reach out to us at our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by calling 855-833-9864. You can also write to us, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you partner with us financially, bear in mind that we are able to continue this radio ministry through you doing just that, joining other friends and family members of this ministry to ensure that this program continues its ministry in the greater Bay Area. Please consider that as you reach out to us, and then join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.